It is Friday once again, and you know what that means. It is time for Rush Hour. I'm Nicole. I'm Amukta. (laughs) And we are back for a bit of a short episode today, Um, but that's okay. We only have two big news pieces, so Mm -hmm. let's just jump in. Um, This first story is, like, kind of long. And we need some backstory and context. So WNBA star Brittany Griner was detained in Russia 10 months ago in February, where authorities accused her of carrying cannabis oil in her luggage near Moscow because she was going to play in Russia during the WNBA offseason. And she um, did plead guilty, saying that she had uh, cannabis oils in her bag. I don't know if she, like, those were, it was intentional or um, an accident, but um, in August, she was convicted by a Russian court on a charge of attempting to smuggle narcotics into Russia, and they sentenced her to nine years in a Russian penal colony. So, yeah, for those of you who don't know what a penal colony is, it's like one of those forced labor camps that have, like, really hard forced labor um, and it's like in the cold Russian wilderness, like hours away from any civilization. It's That's like, really harsh. It's like way, yeah. If you've ever watched Stranger Things, I'm pretty sure the camp or the prison. Actually, no, that's oh. a prison. That's very different. <laughs> I'm reading a story for English. Um, one day in the life of Ivan Denisovich, and it's like about one of these forced labor, like prison colonies and it's like it's really something but anyways in november she was moved to one of the most oh also this is like a nine-year sentence and it's a 10-year you can only they have a 10-year maximum for sentencing (gasps) so they decided to like really push her to the max that they could um so in november she was moved to one of the most notorious penal colonies And it was all, like, really bad because the United States State Department in May said that she was wrongfully detained. So the Biden administration was trying to make a deal with Russia for months to, like, free her and get her to come back home. And in June, they offered the exchange of a Russian, Victor Bout, who was imprisoned in America. They he was an arms dealer who's also known as the Merchant of Death some nickname, who um, was a decade into a 25-year prison sentence in America for conspiring to sell weapons to people who said that they planned to kill Americans, which is really fine. So they said, they told Russia that they would let him go back to Russia and they would shorten his sentence or whatever if Russia gave back Greiner and the former U.S. Marine Paul Whelan who has been detained in Russia for almost four years now. So that's like a whole other story. But um, even after months of negotiating, Russia told them that in turn for Bout, they could either take Greiner or nobody. They were not going to let Whelan go. So the U.S. took back Greiner and were forced to leave Whelan. But even so, the Phoenix Mercury fans, which is where she plays, they're very happy about her safe return, and her wife is very happy, and everybody's very relieved that she was able to come back safely, and um, Russia didn't do anything bad to her, or that bad. That 
that's a really scary situation to be put in. I yeah. I just Russia is one of those places like you really do not want to get in trouble there. Mm-hmm. And it's been like ten. Ten months that she was in this situation, so she was wow. just waiting around for ten months to be to be able to go back, not knowing if like she could have been sentenced and stayed there for nine years. Like that's really, really scary. I do wonder about the backstory behind the cannabis oil, though. I didn't look too much into that, but I, yeah, a lot of athletes like use marijuana. Um, and just as like coping or just for whatever reasons they have. So, but it's obviously very illegal to bring that into Russia Mm -hmm. and the punishments are quite large. So if you're ever going to Russia, (laughs) check your baggage and make sure you're not bringing anything that they don't want because you can get some bad bad like punishment time oh this actually reminds me of um a little personal story actually if that's okay yeah but i went to peru in like in in december of 2021 during winter break okay and you know in the u.s cocaine is illegal obviously yes but in peru they grow the the plant and it's called the coca plant and they actually use it for a lot of things so coca tea which is like not not pow- like the cocaine powder in tea, it's just the coca leaves, which is like the original thing. They have coca tea and they have coca candy. And they sell it there because it helps with altitude sickness. So I had so much coca candy <laughs> in Peru. Um, but you have to be really careful when coming back to the United States because there are stories online of people who like forgot that they had little coca candy pieces in their pockets. Oh, and they come yeah. to um, the... In any of the U.S. airports, and they get detained because they find the coca thing, and then it's like a mark on their permanent record that right. you were trying to smuggle drugs into the United States. So, actually, you know what? Am I in danger for saying this? Because, um, so I was trying to finish like a packet of coca candy we had before we came back, and we were in the Mexican airport because uh-huh. it was like a connection flight, and I think I forgot about one piece left that was left in my mom's pocket, but none of us realized. And we made it safe. We made it like home and everything. And then my mom pulled the piece out of her pocket, and she was like, "Oh, oh look my at that!" Gosh. Well, I don't think you had that bad intentions with some candy. Yeah, but at the same time, I think it was like a similar situation for Brittany as well. Yeah. So she didn't have bad intentions, but it can just, it can just go wrong so quickly. Right. Right. Um, and yeah, also like the marine. I forget what his story was exactly, but. Um, he was, like, just going to a wedding, to a friend's wedding in Moscow when they, yeah, and he, he was, I think he was retired at that point, but they detained him, like, then when he was just with his family going to a wedding, and he's been stuck for four years, and the U.S. has been trying to, like, continuously trying to get him that's back, insane. But. That's not even like a war captivity. I thought when you said marine, it was like no. Yeah, it's it's strange. Like yeah, you just have to be really careful and like these international international traveling. But wow. yeah, speaking of Russia, um, so the Biden administration found out that Russia has been providing major amounts of military and technical support to Iran in return for in return 
for supplying weapons um, in return for Iran supplying weapons to Russia um, to use to fight against Ukraine. And since the start of the Ukraine-Russia war, Iran actually has been Russia's top supporter. And I think the Biden administration originally thought that they were supplying drones to um, Russia, but it's just all sorts of military power. Like, not military, like guns and physical physical power. And in return, Russia supports them with more like manpower. So it's it's like kind of an exchange going on there, which is a little scary because they're both pretty pretty big powers as well as being mostly not with good intentions towards the yeah. United States. And so uh, the United States has warned like other me- Middle Eastern countries that Iran is like gaining in their military power. So just, you know, watch out because who knows what could happen next. But yeah, so Russia's got quite a track record going on. Yeah. <laughs> With uh, everything, they're not in the best light at the moment. <laughs> but yeah, we have a little bit of speed news before our big interview today. Um, do you want to start us off, Amuksa? Sure. So, first thing, Democrat Raphael Ruff, Raphael Raphael Warnock won the Georgia runoff election, giving the Democrats 51 to 49 lead in the Senate. We talked about this a little last week about yeah. how if he won, that could help in like much closer our uh, closer voting things in the Senate. Right, right. Because there was a lot of like suspense yeah. surrounding this, like, oh, what's going to happen? This could change a lot of things. Yes. Um, And then China has slowly begun to loosen COVID-19 restrictions, such as allowing home quarantine instead of staying in the uh, state-led or country-led or, like, quarantine um, facilities. And And, Oh, sorry. 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 No, no, you go ahead. Well, they also have been using, like, these QR codes that everybody needs, like, for every public place that you go into, you have to use this QR code um, and, like, talk about or to say that you're healthy and don't have COVID. But they're also slowly taking those away as well. And I think that's a positive turn of news for a lot of China's citizens because they've been protesting and writing in public about the restrictions. Yes. Apparently, they're very, very strict, and or they were very strict, like to a point where it almost felt like jail sometimes. Yeah, no, there were a lot of complaints mm-hmm. and a lot of protesting, and that is, well, it shows it's like one of the stories where protesting has really worked with the government, and it has led them to make some um, good changes for the civil or for yeah the population. <laughs> Okay, uh, next we have Dina Boulart just took office on Wednesday, becoming Brazil's first female president. Um, unfortunately, just in time for Brazil to get knocked out of the World Cup by Croatia this morning. We were talking about this um, before we started. Amukta is quite happy. Well, yes, I support Croatia. I love Modric, so... Um, I can't say I'm too disappointed, but I do understand it from the perspective of the Brazilian supporters who had like a lot of 
expectations for the game. Everybody thought that Brazil was going to like win the entire and thing. To be fair, I thought Croatia had no chance in this game, but you know, pleasantly surprised. Well, yeah, <laughs> Croatia got pretty far last time. Mm, so I did, mean, it's yeah. not like <sighs> it's surprising though. And also <laughs> right now, while we're currently recording, the Netherlands is um tied with Argentina 2-2. Two two. They're in the 100 and 10th minute. Oh my god. <laughs> I know. And yeah, the the game is going on in the commons, but oh. so we can't see what exactly is happening, oh. but that will be another really huge upset if the <laughs> Netherlands beats Argentina. And yeah. I feel like all 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 the teams that have won have just been winning um with the penalty kicks these like right. these couple games because everyone's just so good they just keep tying with each other and it's mm. like shoot offs yeah everything yeah. like that and did you say that you wanted netherlands to win or do you want argentina to win here's here's my thought process if argentina wins i feel like croatia has a harder chance if they play okay. against them yeah but if the netherlands wins i feel like they'd have a pretty fair chance and that's just my thing. I don't know what's going to happen, but yeah. Well, you and Croatia. I <laughs> I'll let you be, but I do hope that Argentina wins, of course, because of Messi okay, and his that, that's last. Fair. Yeah. You know and... what? Yeah, I get the sentimental point of you too cuz like it is Well, Messi's been saying that he's been he's going to retire for a long time now and I don't think he's ever going okay. to retire. So I know, but no, I I think that this is actually going to be cuz he's getting okay. a lot older and that's he's true. but um I don't know. Everybody seems to be wanting Argentina to win around here. So hopefully, I mean, everybody listening will already know. Mm -hmm. It'll already be 5 p.m. So we'll see. But yeah, those are our thoughts. And then lastly, for speed news, Ukrainian President Vladimir Zelensky was named Times Person of the Year this year for his highly respectable attempts to fight off Russia's invasions of his country for the past 10 months. Uh, I saw this too, and I'd say it's pretty well-deserved. It is really well-deserved. And they're they're making a lot of progress recently. Mm-hmm. They are... It's looking much better for Ukraine in the past month than it has Definitely. been for the rest of the year. But... Yeah, that is very respectable, and I'm actually very glad that they chose him. (laughs) But yeah, that is all of our speed news. We do have one more segment. Amukta, do you want to talk about what's going to happen? I will. So, um, this week I got uh, the chance, the opportunity to interview an author, a famous author named Stuart Gibbs, and if you don't know him... Um, you probably know his books, uh, Spy School series or oh. the Fun Jungle series, Moonbase Alpha series, um, Charlie Thorne. I'll, there's a ton of books that he's written, um, mainly for um, younger kids. Like, I mean, I would still still read the Spy School series. I, I love his books. And um, yeah, I, I got the chance to interview him. So next segment, you'll get to hear a little bit about him and how he ventured into the world of books so hopefully that's that's something that you're interested in my name is Amukta Josila from KMIH 88.9 The Bridge and Rush Hour and here with me today I have a very special guest Mr. Stuart Gibbs the author of many popular book series like the Spy School series the Fun Jungle series Moonbase Alpha series and many more 
He's received nominations for the 2013 Edgar Awards for Best Juvenile Mystery for Spy School and 2013 Pennsylvania Young Choice Award for Belly Up. It doesn't end there, though, and I have the honor to interview Mr. Stuart Gibbs today. So, how are you doing? I'm doing very well. How are you today? I'm also doing very well. Thank you so much for being here. Um, so, it all started with your first book, which I heard was Belly Up, and I also read a little bit about you being a biologist, uh, studying biology in college before that, and your interest with capybara. So, how did that all lead into you writing your first novel? Well, I, I was always interested in writing first and foremost. Even when I was a, a kid, I was I was writing stories. I was trying to get books published you know, as early as first grade, uh, not successfully, but I tried. And uh, by the time I got to college, you know, I, I was trying to figure out if I needed to be focused on something else. And so the thing I liked second most after writing was animals. Uh, I had always liked uh, going to the zoo or going out in the wild and looking for wildlife. And so I was studying field biology. Uh, so, you know, field biologist is a biologist who goes off into the wilderness to study uh, wildlife. Mm -hmm. uh, I was going to school in a large city. We didn't have a whole lot of wilderness. So we would go to the zoo to do our projects. And it was really just sort of a, a happy accident that I ended up studying capybara. Uh, the zoo had just gotten some. Mm -hmm. uh, I really didn't know very much about them at all. Uh, but it turned out almost nobody knew anything about them. Uh, they really hadn't been researched very much. And so uh, so I was I was spending a lot of time there doing research on them, uh, trying to learn what I could. And uh, some of which I, I discovered uh, had not really been uh, documented yet. And uh, but but uh, because I really wanted to be a writer, uh, I was I was spending all this time in the zoo and I was uh, seeing how a zoo operated behind the scenes. And I, I would talk to the zookeepers and and uh, collect their stories about uh, funny things that had happened at that zoo or other zoos they'd heard about. And, and I just started sort of developing this idea uh, for some sort of story that would take place at a zoo uh, at some point. Uh, and uh, so, uh, you know, it was many years later until that sort of came to fruition as as, uh, as Belly Up, which is a, a murder mystery of a hippopotamus mm -hmm. that takes place at a zoo. Well, that's amazing. And I see the pictures of animals on your wall back there. And yes. you've been writing since you were young, as you mentioned. Um, growing up, what were some of your favorite books and authors? Oh, well, uh, I was, as, as a mystery uh, lover, uh, I was I loved uh, things like the Hardy Boys series, the Nancy Drew series. I, I think the one that uh, spoke to me the most uh, was a book called The Westing Game by Ellen Raskin, uh, which is, I still believe, one of the finest mysteries uh, that has ever been written. Uh, I have read it uh, many, many times throughout my life. Uh, and then um, I was also a big fan of the, the Encyclopedia Brown series by Donald J. Sobel, uh, who uh, I, I loved so much about Encyclopedia Brown, about how he was respected for being smart, uh, how his uh, best friend was the toughest girl in town, Sally Kimball, uh, and uh, how he always you know, had these bits and pieces of information that he could use to uh, – to, um, to solve the crime. So you could learn something while you're reading an encyclopedia Brown story. And then, uh, but the, you know, that information always was really key to him, uh, like figuring out, uh, uh, the, the crime. And, and that was something that I really uh, admired growing up and, and something that I, I still try to utilize all the time in my books. Wow. And have, have, has much of your inspiration come from these books like encyclopedia Brown for your story? Oh, absolutely. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, uh, there's there's something about it, like uh, how to, you know, solve a mystery, uh, how, how uh, you know, uh, I mean, Encyclopedia Brown is sort of in a long line of, of, of famous detectives are really uh, renowned for their intelligence. Uh, but uh, it, but then there was even, you know, the dynamic of Encyclopedia Brown and Sally Kimball is something that I think is, is there a bit in in like the the, the uh, Spy School series where, where I've got uh, kind of a tough, capable girl and a, and a smart guy and, and they're the team. Uh, and so there, there were, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I learned a lot about, uh, I mean, those are short stories. So so the, the, you know the structure of them is different than than a, a longer mystery, but um, but there was a lot that I could pick up from those stories. It's amazing. And personally, when I was younger, um, even now, I your your books, especially the Spice School series, really made up a big part of my childhood. And I actually do think it made a big part of the people, the childhood of people around me. I know many of my friends read the book. I would read stuff online about it all the time. How do you feel about the success of the series? Um, you know, it, it's it's just uh, incredibly flattering, uh, I guess, that, that you know, I mean, the, the reason you want to be a, a writer is that you have a story that you want to you want to share uh, with um with as many people as possible. And, uh, so, uh, you know, and, and you kind of think like, okay, you know, if, if like three people read this book, well, well, that, that's something, but, but then to hear that, that lots of, uh, other people have read it and, and have, you know, uh, right. Like, you know, right, gone online to connect with other people who've been fans or, or written fan fiction or dressed up as Erica Hale for Halloween or something like that. That's all just amazing stuff. And yeah, it, it's great to see it skyrocket so much. And, uh, it skyrocketed so much that it came to a point where it almost became a movie, which I think a lot of us were excited for for a very long time. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it, that you know, it, um, it still could happen. It's mm -hmm. just it's Hollywood, you know. It just takes forever for anything to get done yeah. here. Part of the show business is what I've heard. Yes. Yes. Um, but in your like perfect reincarnation of the Spy School books as movies, do you have any like specific? actors you think would be perfect for roles or any any like theatrical ideas um you know it's i i mean i i was the one who wrote the script the latest version of the script for it and so i tried to stay uh as close to the book as i could you know a, a movie's not a book so it's you, you have to make some uh changes but you're, but you're trying to write you know a movie that hopefully like the fans won't really notice too much of what you've changed uh but um you know the the uh in terms of thinking about actors that's that's a tough one because you know again <laughs> it takes so long for something to happen so if i said oh man here's this great actor now uh by the time the movie gets made that that person would be in college right so <laughs> so it, it almost you know that 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 really would become the job of of the of the of the casting director i'll i'll leave that to them when when the time <laughs> comes okay and i also heard that you used to write movies as well which probably yes. led a little bit to the spy school movie but between writing novels and writing movies is there things you enjoy more about any of them any specifics uh you know i i mean i wrote i wrote movies for quite some time before i shifted over to novels and uh while the movie business uh has is a certain amount of fun um you know there's a there's a really good chance that anything you write is not going to get made Whereas once you have a publishing contract and, and you you know they're they're asking you to write the book that book is going to come out uh, and and that puts you in a very 
different sort of mental space in terms of writing. To, to write something you know people are going to read uh, is is uh, is a much better uh, place, I think, much more positive place to be than writing something where you're like, man, there's a one in a hundred chance that this ever gets made or seen by anybody. And uh, so uh, I, you know, once once Billy Up came out, uh, you know, I thought maybe I would just write one book, but I, I enjoyed writing it. Uh, I, I certainly uh, was pleased that uh, I was asked to write another book after that. And so, you know, I, I was like, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to keep doing this. I've got plenty of ideas. So I think I'm now at uh, 28 or 29 books. Wow, that's very impressive. <laughs> Thanks. And would you say Belly Up really kickstarted your career? Like, how did you get to that point? There's I know there's many like aspiring writers who have to wait years sometimes to get their work published so oh no i mean i i I waited years yeah yeah um you know like when i I was you know i was starting all through elementary school middle school high school college uh sending books off to get published uh it it you know there are people who who got their first book published far earlier in life than than i did Mm -hmm. uh i um you know i i sort of came out to la uh, like trying to figure out some way, like I'm gonna I'm gonna write some way for a living. If if the book thing's not gonna work out, well, I'm gonna write movies or television. Uh, so uh, just so I, I was trying to write books that whole time too, but it but it turned out that I ended up selling uh, movies uh, or getting hired as a screenwriter first. And so you know I I did that, but I but I always kind of kept that idea about like okay, well I'm gonna write a book uh, in the back of my head and. Uh, so, you know, I don't know, there's, there, there's sort of a, a vaguely traditional way that you uh, get into uh, writing books, uh, which is uh, tracking down, you know, writing a book on spec and tracking down agents and, and uh, but, but just about everybody is, is doing something else while they're trying to get that done. Uh, and, and the only person I knew uh, growing up, I, I was Michael Crichton, who I was a big fan of, and I knew Michael Crichton actually mm-hmm. gone to medical school and was like, <laughs> writing books on the side. I don't know how he did that. I don't know how he went and and went to medical school or or did it and in you know did his residency and then would go off for a weekend and and, and apparently crank out like a you know a pulp fiction novel of a couple hundred pages. But he was doing that, uh, and I thought, okay, well, I, I guess I don't know. I guess that's what you do. You go and you study field biology, and uh, you know, on your off time, you write books and, and see how that works out. And, I ultimately realized, like uh, uh, at the time, uh, this was this is well before uh, uh, cell phone reception and, and the internet, and so I was like, oh man, if I go off to uh, South America to study the capybara, uh, I, I have virtually no way to actually write books. <laughs> uh, it was it was almost before laptop computers, so you're right. I thought uh, if I go off there, like uh, that that I, I don't know how I do that and write books on the side, uh, so I, I came off to Hollywood instead. Mm-hmm. And now, as you're writing your books, do you ever go back, study animals a little bit, or do anything related to that from time to time? I, I mean, I, I one of the great things about the, the Fun Jungle series, which which Billy is a part of, is it gives me uh, a way to uh, you know go and and kind of do research. Uh, I, I'm not I'm not I'm not doing real research, but uh, like where I'm, I'm I'm advancing science, but I I can go talk to the people who are doing that and and, and doing the research for for uh, my books, mm-hmm. and so I now uh, when I want to do an, another one of those, uh, I will go. Uh, behind the scenes of the zoo with with permission i, I go back <laughs> meet people and talk to experts and um so my my next book in that series uh is is about a uh, 
the mysterious death of a whale, and and I talked to uh, whale scientists and experts about that, and and you know really developed the story for that. Uh, but I'm, I I mean I still love wildlife. I still go uh, everywhere I can to go see it. Uh, uh, I, you know, I was held at home, like all of us were with COVID for a couple of years. And then this year, uh, my kids and I had a big year. We, we sort of like went all over the place, like trying to see uh, wildlife. Wow. And, uh, uh, so we actually managed to get to, uh, uh, we got, we got to Australia, Africa and Alaska all wow. this year, which was a bit wow. nuts. And, uh, yeah. And so we, we, you know, and, and they came along and we, and we saw everything from, uh, you know, kangaroos and koalas to, uh, lions and leopards and elephants and and walruses and grizzly bears so off in the wild this year so you know uh again i'm not i'm not a scientist but i'm but i'm learning when i'm there and i'm learning how scientists do their work and um and uh so i'm always kind of thinking of new ideas wow that that trip that whole trip sounds like a dream it sounds awesome it was more than one trip but but oh, it was, yeah. <laughs> but, but, but it, it, was, it was sort of a pile up of, of places we'd wanted to go so mm-hmm. yeah and other than Aside from the obvious animals and what you see in wildlife, what other factors do you think have inspired you in writing some of your novels? Um, you know, I, I like I like science and I like history. Uh, I have another series, a newer series, uh, that's the Charlie Thorne series. And Charlie Thorne is always trying to track down things that... Uh, the greatest uh, uh, scientists and thinkers from throughout history have discovered, but hidden away because they were too dangerous uh, for, uh, to trust humanity with. So that's, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that I do a deep dive on, on Einstein and Darwin and uh, Cleopatra. Now I'm, I'm learning about Isaac Newton. And uh, so trying to work their science, uh, work, work parts of history uh, into, into those novels. Uh, and I, I, lo- I, lo- I like to do that. I like, I, you know, going all the way back to, uh, Encyclopedia Brown and learning something from reading those mm-hmm. books or or from reading Michael Crichton, uh, who wrote Jurassic Park and Congo and Sphere and all these other great sort of science adventures. Um, you know, I would learn by reading Michael Crichton. And so I thought, okay, you know, if I can do that, if I can work science, history, uh, biology, uh, chemistry, physics, all those things into uh, into my books in a fun way, then hopefully uh, lots of other people are, are enjoying uh, the read, but, but also what they're learning as they're reading. So it's been a pretty big learning process as well, learning new things along the way. As oh, well. yeah, 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 mm-hmm. absolutely. And moving a little bit to the future, actually, do you have any goals that you've set for yourself um, in writing and outside of writing as well? Um, you know, I mean, now that I'm doing this, I, I just want to keep going. I have, I have a new series, a, an illustrated series that, that has no basis in science at all. Now, <laughs> Once Upon a Tim, that's for slightly younger readers. Uh, so I'm, I'm really hopeful that that uh, takes off. That's actually an illustrated series with, with a, a guy named Stacy Curtis is doing these amazing illustrations. Uh, that, that's just a lot of fun. So, so it, it's, it's about like trying to launch these new things. Uh, find new readers. Uh, we're, we're doing graphic novels now of the Spy School series, and and uh, the Moonbase Alpha series I did is going to be turned into a graphic novel. So it's just uh, and and hopefully um, you know one of these you know one of these movies will get made or something could turn into mm-hmm. a TV show or we'll we'll get a new audience that way. So I'm I'm still trying to reach as many people with my stories as possible. And I'm looking forward to seeing how that goes and how what that turns into. But we're nearing the end of our interview now. And okay. uh, once again, that was Stuart Gibbs. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's been great learning more about you. 
And um, I'm Amukta Josila, and you're listening to Rush Hour on KMIH 88.9 The Bridge. Thank you so much, Mr. Gibbs. Sure thing. Thank you. Thank you so much.